Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 13. The phone call to his foster parents and foster sister had been first on his list of things to do the day after his morning in Maria's classroom. That was going to have to be put on hold for now. It was Saturday morning and he and Maria were sitting at the table at the patio and planning a day together. Maria tried to keep the conversation light, but Charlie kept coming back to the things she had told him on the ride home the previous day. He had so many questions that she finally just repeated the entire explanation. Okay, here it is again, she said. This is drug country, mainly heroin, but some cocaine. The money involved is in the millions of dollars. Most of the people that live in the small towns and village around here have something to do with the trade. Farming, cocoa plants, or poppies, that's the most common means of employment. Some, though, are runners. Like Juan? Yeah. Only Juan tried to get out. Maria's mood turned very sad. I even suggested it to him, Charlie. Wait a minute. Don't even start to think that you're responsible for his death in any way. That's ridiculous. She hesitated. That really wasn't enough to convince her. She'd been beating herself up about it for days now. At least she was able to tell someone and talk to someone about it. The kids, she continued in her explanation, especially the smart ones, are recruited to carry drugs to Mexico City from here. From there, the drugs are flown or sometimes driven into the United States. A 16, 17, or 8-year-old young man or woman can make fifty, sixty. The $70,000, that's about the same as $200,000 a year in the States. It's a lot of money. Yes, it's hard to turn down, too. Funny, I don't see that kind of wealth here, said Charlie. You won't either, said Maria. Once a young man or woman makes a certain amount of money, they're allowed safe passage. Safe passage, asked Charlie. Yeah, they can leave. Who decides they can leave, asked Charlie. The bosses, said Maria. Well, who are the bosses? Well, said Maria, the guys that run all of this. They own the land where the poppy and cocoa are grown. They pay the farmers and the runners, too. So if you're recruited and you try to leave before they say that it's okay to leave, Charlie made the symbol of a gun with his fingers pointed to his head. It was as if he was asking a question with the gesture. Unfortunately, yes, said Maria. That's what happened to Juan? Well, she said, I can't say positively for certain, but it sure looks that way, don't you think? Well, it makes sense. I guess he got to where he didn't want to do it anymore, right? Right. They killed him to make an example. They own you until it's okayed by them that you can leave, said Maria. 
what's to keep a family from picking up and just hauling butt out of here? Asked Charlie. No way. They keep an eye on those who have been recruited. Bet I know how they spot who they're supposed to be watching, said Charlie. You do? How? Charlie reached into his pocket and pulled out the necklace that had fallen from Juan's neck. By this, he held it out and up to Maria. She gently took it in her hand and rubbed the polished turquoise stone with her thumb and index finger. You're right. You're also very smart. Margarita and Michael have this same necklace. I know. That's what they were arguing about when you came in yesterday, said Maria. They both want the money for their families. They volunteered. I've been telling them that since they haven't started, you know, actually working yet, they could get out of here. They don't want to hear about it, though. It's like talking to brick walls. Don't they understand the danger involved, asked Charlie. It's the money, Charlie. Charlie leaned back in his chair. His mind was going 100 miles an hour. It was something he hadn't had to give serious thought to in quite some time. Money. Although well taken care of as a child in his foster home, he was very aware of what it was like to be without money. His college years were difficult and law school had been much, much worse. During college, he worked at Sears about 30 hours a week, selling appliances. Then on the weekends, he worked for a landscaping company. In law school, he worked at night as a watchman at a bank. It gave him the necessary time to attend classes and study while making a few bucks, but there were many, many days when he'd be lucky to get four or five hours sleep. He knew what it was like to struggle. Maria listened as he expressed these thoughts out loud for her. While he was talking, he made mental notes of things that needed to be included in the book. One mental note he made was the fact that he never even considered doing anything illegal to make some quick money. He told Maria that too. At first, he was scared that she might think he was putting down his bannocks by making a comment like that, but he said it anyway, hoping she would understand, and she did. A lot of good, church-going people farm the cocoa and the poppy. They don't see it as illegal because it's been done for generations, said Maria. Surely they know it's against the law. Well, I suppose so, she said, but the laws aren't enforced here like they might be in the United States. The police look the other way or get paid off. That's how things are here. What about Garcia? I think he's a good man, said Maria. He hates the drugs and does what he can, but he's just one person. Wow. Confusing. How do you tell the good guys from the bad guys, asked Charlie. It's an unwritten rule around here that you don't mess with people who are wearing turquoise necklaces. Stopping them from doing their business is risking death. Bizarre, said Charlie. No, Charlie, said Maria, it's real. 
The people here are too isolated from the outside world, Maria. If they knew how they were being manipulated and the problems these drugs were causing people, well, I'm sure they'd stop, don't you? Maria thought for a moment. Well, it's a very good thing to say, and yes, that would be correct in a perfect world, I suppose. Hmm. You know what the people here need? I don't know, a library with computers and internet access and books and magazines, you know. Charlie sounded excited. Never happened, said Maria flatly. Charlie took two swallows from the iced tea he was drinking. The money, right? Maria looked at him as if to say, duh. She added to it by saying again that it would never happen. Besides, she added, there's another problem. Well, what's that? Asked Charlie. These bosses like the people to stay ignorant around here. They tolerate me and the school and my fellow teachers, but the fact of the matter is that they would never allow something like a library here. Think about it, Charlie. You got to go to the gas station in Cuidad Norte to use the telephone. Yeah, that reminds me. Where does that phone go that runs through town here? I definitely know there's a line, but I've never seen a phone. The line's been dead for years. Garcia uses a shortwave radio for law enforcement communication. There's a phone at the school I use. Oh, so now you tell me. Well, you can use it, Charlie. Next time, just come on in the school. Okay, he said. I guess now that I've met everyone, it would be okay, right? They already know who you were, believe me. What do you mean? You've got to quit thinking in the big city terms, Charlie. Did you notice that no one asked you about the bruises on your face? Come to think of it, yeah. Charlie scratched his head and leaned back away from the table, the front two legs of his chair came off the concrete patio floor. What are you saying? They already knew what happened to me? Afraid so, said Maria. This place gets stranger by the minute. Come on, let's get out of here for a while then. Since you think this place is so strange, which it's not, it's just small. Let's escape. She stood up and took Charlie's arm and playfully tug. Let's go ride spirit. They had started their discussion with planning out the day, but a ride on spirit, though, through the mountains sounded great. Charlie eagerly followed, and they were on spirit's back and headed down that same dangerous mountain trail in no time. The second time on the trail didn't make it any easier, or any less scary for that matter, the horse stepped carefully and breathed hard, yet still seemed to enjoy the excitement, just like his horse, Mandy. Mandy enjoyed flirting with the danger of the incoming tide. Spirit loved flirting with the danger of the heights. Once they made it to the round circular area at the top of the trail, Spirit reared up and pawed her front hooves in the air, snorting air from his nostrils as his feet came back down on the packed earth. 
the horse seemed to enjoy the accomplishment of conquering the trail. The horse's spirited action surprised Maria and Charlie, but they were able to hang on, knowing the horse wasn't spooked, just enjoying the moment like they were, added to the excitement they were feeling as they looked down at the jungle below. Maria let go of the horse's reins and let him stand close to the steep drop-off that edged the small circular area where they now stood. Charlie sat on the ground after dismounting the horse and let his legs dangle over the cliff. The trees were literally hundreds of feet below. Maria bravely sat next to him and locked her arm with his. What are you thinking, she asked. Nothing, said Charlie. Why do people always do that? You're obviously thinking deeply about something, and I ask you what you're thinking, and you say nothing. Spirit was standing close to the edge and looking out to the horizon. What do you think he's thinking? If he could answer that question, what do you think he would say? Both looked at each other and said it at the same time. Nothing! And broke into laughter. Once they have recovered from the little joke, Maria kept at the issue. No, seriously, she said, what is it that causes you to stare out into the horizon and not talk? You really want to know, said Charlie. It's kind of, well, personal. I can keep a secret, she said. Well, it has to do with my money, said Charlie. Well, that is personal. Yeah, well... I have a little of that. Money, she asked. Yeah, said Charlie. By a little, you mean a lot? Yeah, said Charlie. I kind of figured that, said Maria. Not that it makes any difference or anything. I just, I know, I know. You're not like that. Look, I can tell you're not like that, okay? Believe me. I've met too many women who simply want my cash that I can spot them miles away. You're not one of them. So what's your problem with your money then, asked Maria. Charlie wrinkled as he concentrated on the right words to say next. Like I say, I have a little. So what I was thinking on the way up here was, what if I built a library in Cuidad Norte or even San Miguel? You know... Did it upright, too, you know, with, like, computers and lots of books. What do you think? He expected Maria's reaction to be one of excitement, but he got the total opposite. She bowed her head as if to be sad and sighed. Haven't you listened to anything I told you this morning, she said. She let go of his arm. These drug lords aren't going to allow you to come in here and change people's lives, Charlie. Like I've told you already today, it isn't going to happen. I don't care how much money you have. Charlie shook his head. Who are these guys? They don't own these people. Last I heard, Mexico was a free country just as much as the United States of America. They can't just control people's lives like that. They can and they do, said Maria sternly. Charlie pulled Maria back close to him. It doesn't have to be that way. 
how could you and I possibly stop something that not only has been going on around here for decades, but is part of the culture? Be realistic, Charlie. Well, he said, I guess we'll just have to take these guys on. You have absolutely no idea what you're saying, said Maria. You're going to get yourself hurt, even killed. These guys don't play games. You say what they did to Juan, they wouldn't hesitate to do the same to you. I suggest you stop that kind of talk now before someone other than me hears it. He simply didn't respond. But the cogs in his brain were spinning wildly with ideas. The ride home was quiet and he used it to continue thinking. They brushed Spirit down, then fed and watered him once they got back. It was still early afternoon, but both Charlie and Maria expressed the need to do some Saturday work. Charlie returned to his writing and Maria returned to her papers to grade. Their minds were half on their work and half on the conversation they'd had while sitting next to Spirit on the mountaintop. Maria began to wonder of the possibilities that a library could create for not only the students of the school, but all of the people from Cuidad Norte and San Miguel. She and the other teachers were dedicated, educated, and worked tirelessly, but still there were limits as to what they were able to do. Giving everyone access to the outside world just might break the hold the drug bosses had on the people. Would these guys resist to the point of bloodshed, he wondered? Those few individuals controlling the drugs surely would be angry at any attempt to change what had worked so well for so long. She pushed her papers aside and dreamed the possibilities anyway. She pictured students like Michael and Margarita sitting at computer terminals with intense looks on their faces as they researched history and science projects on the internet. She pictured other students reading the free magazines and newspapers available from around the world like Newsweek and Time, the Jerusalem Post, the San Francisco Examiner, the Los Angeles Times. She caught herself staring at nothing with a smile on her face when she snapped out of her daydream. It was a wonderful idea. The price of attempting it was too high though. She thought of Juan. The last time she saw him was as he lay in the highly polished and varnished blonde wood color casket. His body mannequin-like and lifeless as though it were fake. She could almost smell the varnish on the wood and the fresh flowers that surrounded the coffin. Yes, the price was already too high. Making it worse was just out of the question. Her feelings were growing daily for Charlie, by the way, but she was going to have to discourage him from what she knew he was thinking, knowing that his confidence bordered on being stubborn. She was just going to flat out have to tell him to stop thinking about those sorts of things and concentrate on what he came there to do, which was to write and finish his book. 
The idea was a good one in that the intentions were obviously heartfelt, but the prospect of building something like a library just put too many people in danger. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we continue with things that Charlie did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.